Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want to talk to you about pressing on. If you've ever read uh, any type of law literature, if you've read documents or, or bylaws or, or constitutions, in our constitution there's also these, there's these three words that are prevalent in bylaws or legal documents. And they are these three. Be it resolved. Be it resolved. That means it's settled. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing here, and I want you to go to Philippians chapter 3, and then I want you to also take your finger, and I want you to go all the way back to the Old Testament and mark 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to go through a couple places there. So Philippians chapter 3, I want to read this. This is the Apostle Paul, and I hope that this is your prayer today. I hope this is your desire. If you come here to Journey Fellowship Church to, to be in service, I hope that it's more than just going to church and attending a, a, a church service on the weekend. I hope that your relationship with God is much more than just arriving at a particular address where there's things that take place that are in religious in nature. I hope that it's more than that. I hope it sounds like this in verse 10. For I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now that sounds like someone who is resolved. And fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this. I know that nobody in this room has attained all of that. You know why? Because we're still six feet above the dirt. Or five feet or less. For the vertically challenged. <laughs> I got to use my, my moments, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Any perfect people in the house this morning, lift your hand. Praise God. That's why we haven't got it all down. But he says this, and I want you to say these words. But, say it with me, I press on. Say it again. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, sounds like a man who is resolved. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, neglecting my past, neglecting who I used to be, walking away from all of those thoughts that have kept me down and the scars that have brought me to where I, forgetting what I have been. I strain toward what is ahead. My future is not in the rearview mirror. It is in the windshield of my life. It's in front of me. 
The future of your life, the future of my life, the future of our church is in front of us, not behind us. Verse 14, say it with me. So I press on. That doesn't sound resolved. Say it with me. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Reaching a goal is never easy. If you have set goals in your life, I can tell you that you have met challenge after challenge to meet that goal and to reach that objective or to reach a certain level of success or to see a goal achieved in your family or in your livelihood or in your career or whatever it might be. You have something in your life that you want to pursue and you have to do this. You have to pursue it long enough to catch it. This week I was just sitting on the couch and I was looking at my wife, staring lovingly at my wife. And I came, she got up and then I got up and I just met her face to face, just like this. And I said, I chased you a long time, didn't I? Now see, now most of you have heard the story. She actually chased me for a long time and I finally got tired and gave in and, and she, you know, let me be, you know, yeah. That's good preaching, isn't it, Vince? That's good preaching. That's good preaching, yeah. I want to be a completely honest pastor and tell you that that's not exactly the way the story went. <laughs> I'm glad we've got some other honest fellas in the room. I pursued her. I chased after her. And let me tell you something. She was hard to catch. Any of you girls know what it's like to play hard to get? I hope you do. Because when you're kind of out there kind of playing hard to get, that means the prize is that much more wonderful. The catch. Once you catch it. I chased after her. I pursued her. The reason why I say that is that word pursuit is what is, is dioko, which is the word that means I press on in Greek. That's what he says. Paul says, I pursue, I pursue, I chase after, I go after the goal that I have in my life. And his goal, as he says in, in, in Philippians, is the prize that is in heaven one of these days. That's, the, that's my pursuit. You can pursue a lot of things in life. You can pursue money and you can pursue fame and you can pursue power and you can pursue people and relationships. But can I just tell you that in the end, honestly, the only pursuit that you really, really need to have is the pursuit that lies somewhere in heaven where the Lord Jesus is and where we will stand before him and we and we will be greeted and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the pursuit that you really should have. But here's the catch. After I met her and started pursuing her, I never would have caught her, Joe, if I had given up after she kind of, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to chase. You're going to have to pursue. If I had said, well, she's too hard to reach. She's too hard to catch. I'm going to give up. But I didn't do that. I was like Vince 
I kept chasing. I know your story. And she kept walking away on the other side of the church. <laughs> and Joe said, there she goes, Vince. Where? She done left. See, the problem with pursuit is that you have to pursue long enough to catch anything that's valuable. You have to be, I would say, resolved. You have to resolve in your mind, that is what I want. And that is what I'm going to get. There's a hero that I want to introduce you guys to who has the most, probably the, the most tremendous resolve that I have ever seen. His resolve is hardly comparable to anyone's. I've, I've just never seen it. Growing up, he was an idol of mine. Take a look at this picture. This is a hero right here. Wiley Coyote. You talk about resolve. He pursued that stinking roadrunner on top of Acme missiles. He ran off cliffs. He had things fall on him. He, he got whopped in the head. He got turned sideways. He got pulled. Everything that you can imagine happened to Wiley Coyote. But he kept pursuing the roadrunner because he was resolved. That's what I want and that's what I'm going to get. To be honest, there's other heroes. And here's the heroes that I like. You can write this down. Isaiah 50, verse 7. Here's, here's the type of a hero that has resolve that I really like. Isaiah 57 says this. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Now, now remember that. I won't be disgraced because the Lord is going to help me. Therefore, look at this. I have set my face like flint. Do you know what that flint is? It's, it's rock. You could say, I've set my face like a stone. And I know that I will not be put to shame. What he's saying is he's saying my resolve is as hard as a rock. You can't change my mind. You can't run me off. You can't drop anything on my head like Wiley Coyote that's going to make me give up my pursuit. I am resolved. I will catch what I am chasing. Are you with me this morning? Be it resolved. Be it resolved. Now I want you to flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 23 because I want to show you three different people who had incredible resolve in their life. Incredible resolve. And I'm going to show you these people because I want you to have the same resolve 
spiritual. It's called spiritual resolve. These three individuals had incredible spiritual resolve. It wasn't that they just decided they were going to wake up and be this this one, one day. They had incredible spiritual resolve. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, you're going to find a, a chapter, and you're saying, Pastor, I think you've got the wrong chapter, because it's filled with names. Everybody there? You see that? It's filled with names. It's got names. Actually, there are 37 different names. Six of those names, we get a partial idea of who they are, but three of them, we get a detailed description of, of what God is trying to make a point in this chapter. Now, to be honest, there's a large portion of the Bible that's just filled with names and genealogies and things. And, and I can just be honest as well, that only God and their mother know how to pronounce some of those names. And you're going to see that. But here's what I want you to also see, just being in this chapter. I just want to kind of just give you this little nugget. Why did God include all these different names in the Scripture? I believe it's for this reason. There are days sometimes when we feel like that we've just been forgotten and that nobody cares, no one knows what's going on, no one notices. You know what? I want you to understand it in the same way that you feel like nobody even saw what has been going on, God remembers who you are. He remembers your name. In a world with billions and billions of people, God wants you to know this morning, you showed up at Journey Fellowship maybe for this nugget. He wants you to know that He knows what's going on in your life because He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. So the next time you come across a chapter like you say, I don't want to read all that, I'm just going to skip that, say, thank you, Jesus, for remembering my name. Thank you, Lord. He knows you. He knows your details. He knows your story. He doesn't overlook you. He remembers you. He understands you. He will protect you. And he will come to you when you need him because he knows your name. He knows who you are. So let's look at these three names. They're champions. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. You want to try that, that first one? Joshev Bashabeth. That sounds right. The Tachmanite, chief among the captains. I like his nickname better. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now, that's a pretty incredible set of details to go along with a, a gentleman whose name is just listed once in Scripture. He takes on 800 men. The principle I want you to see, the resolve that I want you to see in this man, the spiritual resolve that I want you to see first is that, is that spiritual resolve will help you to stand and fight against overwhelming odds. Adino. Anybody ever had a day where the odds were against you? Everything seemed to be stacking up against you? Your marriage, your career, your job, your, your kids, everything's just, man, it's, you're, you're, the headwind turned into hurricane force wind. 
And the odds are that you won't survive it. Matter of fact, people start looking at your life and they say, there's no way they're going to make it through this. There's no way they survive this one. The odds are too too much against you. There's no way that they're going to be able to survive. The odds are were that Adina would not survive. 800 men, 800 men. He had to, he had to go. He, there's no way. He's going down. I want you to think about that. But he didn't. The Bible says that Adino killed 800 men. He took them all on, all at the same time. And God gave him a great victory. Here's why I believe we need to hear this story. It's because he's not the only person, as you have already agreed, that has ever faced overwhelming odds in your life. He takes on 800 people at one time. Now, there weren't 800 people standing in line saying, you know what, it's one-on-one. We're going to just do it this way, all right? Next. No, they surrounded him. And when everything, all the enemy began to surround him, the best thing that he probably could have done that the odds told him was to take off, bro. You're about to lose everything, especially your life. But he stood his ground. He was resolved that he would not go, that he would fight. He took them all on. Even when he wasn't supposed to survive, let me tell you something. The odds were stacked against you, and nobody in the world would have bet on a Dino, but God was betting on a Dino because God was with him, and he saw his resolve and said, You know what? He is able to stand because I'm going to give him the strength to do it. There may be people that's not very, not very many people betting on you this morning, but can I tell you? God is. God's betting on you. When no one else is, God's betting on you. Why? Because Isaiah chapter 54 tells us that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. All we need to do is be resolved that that is going to be God's promise to us and that it's going to be truthful. That no matter what the odds, no matter how impossible the situation may be, it's not impossible if God is involved. Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 19 says that with God all things are possible. Mark chapter 9 says everything is possible to him but believes. Adino knew the odds, but still he didn't give in. He didn't quit. He stayed in the fight. What is it that you're facing today where the odds seem insurmountable? What is it where... Nobody, doctor, your friends, the lawyer, they're not giving you very good odds and this is going to turn out well for you. When God is with you, the odds don't matter. Do you hear me? When God is with you, the odds just don't matter. They don't matter. You've got to be resolved. I'm resolved that I will proclaim. I'm resolved. I, that's all. That's Adino. There's another man, a few verses later in verse 9. Look at it. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. 
And the Lord brought, a, brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Let me tell you something. If, you're, if your name is the son of Dodo, you better have resolve. Bible says that he fought so long that his hand stuck to the sword. It's not just about facing the odds. Resolve, spiritual resolve, gets you, gives you the ability to hold on even when you're weary. Now, this is really practical stuff right here. Look what it says. He arose and he attacked until his hand was weary. He was tired, out of gas, and his hand stuck to the sword. He fights so long that his hand begins to cramp, give out. He's just... His muscles won't hold on, but he held to the sword. He held on. I've been serving the Lord over 40 plus years. For 26 of those, I've been in full-time ministry. Let me tell you something. There have been times, whether it was being a pastor or serving as a missionary, that you get tired. If you've served the Lord for any length of time, you know what that means. You get tired. You get weary. It's not that the Lord is tired or that you're tired of Him. You just get tired in your life. Once again, don't let the devil distract you. You just get tired. But what I've come to realize is that the longer that I serve the Lord, the more I trust Him because over and over He has just helped me when I am so weak. In my weakest moments, the Bible says that is his strongest moments. Let me fix it. It's mine. It's here. It's not there. In my weakest times, in, in Eliezer's weakest moment, that's when he became the strongest. He, he fought so long that his hand... And his sword became the same. You fight the battles of life sometimes where there is no discernible difference between you and God. What do I mean by that? I mean, like a soldier in the army, the idea of just being a soldier becomes foremost, and you forget about just who you are, saving your skin. It's about, hey, I'm in the battle. Think with me real quick in Ephesians chapter 6. When Paul describes the armor of God, and he says, you've got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shod with peace, the belt of truth, and he goes down the whole list. And he lists the shield of faith, and then following, the very last thing that he says that the army has given, the army of the Lord has been given, is the sword of the Spirit, which is, he said, the Word of God. Can I just show you something about resolve? 
And it's seen here in 2 Samuel chapter 23 so beautifully. If you want to know how to have resolve and face the challenges of life so that you can just press on, you have to begin to lay hold to the sword. And even when you're tired, you don't let go because that right there becomes the part of you. The Word of God becomes your part of you. And in the moments of weakness, it's the Word of God. It's the promises that are found in the Word of God that help you to stand, that help you to win, that help you to fight. Are you with me? Do you get that? Did you catch that? you got to hold on. So whatever promise it is that you're trying to, to, to remember or to lay hold on, lay hold on the Word of God. That's where our promises are found. That's it. If you're tired right now in your life, you're weary, you've dealt with so many things in life. You know what? There's been a lot of things happen the last couple of years. There may be just as many happen in the next two years or three or who knows what's coming down the road. But let me tell you, my friends, if you will let your hand and, and this word become one and the same, if you will hold on to the word of God, just let your hand grab hold of God's word, I, my friend, I promise you that resolve will get you through. That's better preaching than your amen, and I'm telling you that. If y'all want to get out here by 1.30, you'll start getting a little bit more perky. <laughs> That's a joke. I meant one. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am resolved that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. Let me tell you something. There's going to be moments in your life when you're not going to feel like going any further. You're not going to feel like praying. You're not going to feel like you're close to God. You're not going to feel like you want to pick up his word. You're not going to feel good. You're not going to feel like going to church. You're not going to feel like trying to get the kids ready. You're not going to feel about doing anything. And you know what? That's the problem of our culture is that we think that we can live on feelings and not faith. Feelings will always, 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 always change. But the Word of God does not change. The Word of God stands forever. And so what you have to do is you have to lay hold of the things that will not change. Your feelings will go up and down, but the Word of God will not change. So when he says in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it, then you just resolve that, they, that no matter what I have to do today, no matter what things that I have to go through and experience today, this is the day the Lord has made. And I live it in faith, not by feeling. You have to resolve to the fact and hold on to the sword. So when his promise says in Proverbs 18.10 that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe, and you feel like that you have been chased all week by the enemy and the devil is right on your heels, you just have to say, you know what? I'm going inside the strong tower, and guess what? I'm going to be safe. It's like home base. Nobody can touch me. The enemy can't touch me. The devil can't get to me. No words can, can no, nothing that's formed against me, not even the words that I hear around the world that's being spoken against me. I'm going into the strong tower. God's got my promise right there, and I'm going into the tower. That's good. It's the promises that you just have to hold on to. Deuteronomy chapter 28, great place to find some promises. 
Because he says that, that, that you're blessed. You're blessed in the city, and you're blessed in the country. We got any city folk in the room? We got any country folk in the room? Yeah, I know you're city folk. Yeah. Got any country folk? That you're blessed and you're coming in and going out. You're blessed in the morning and you're blessed in the evening. You know, those are the promises that you just have to hold on to. And you have to say, Lord, I don't care what my bank account looks like. You said that you would provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. I'm hanging on to you. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the report of the Lord? Are you going to believe the word of God? There's going to be times when you're going to get tired, and when you get tired, you have to go to the Word. You have to let your hand become one with the Word. You have to get so tired, your hand locks in on the Word of God. Just like Eliam. Life requires for you to, have a, to get a grip. Look at your neighbor and say, get a grip. Life requires that you just get a grip. That's what, that's what life does. It requires that you have a grip. I'm about to get a grip on this microphone. Been fighting it all morning. I'm about to chunk it. Chunk it. It's one of those days. One of those days where God gets the glory no matter what happens. Amen? Life requires that we have a grip. And if you want, wait for the days where you just feel good or feel God, you'll never get out of bed. You'll just pull the sheets up over your head and say, you know what, that's it. But you have to be a person of faith. You have to have resolve, and you just have to press on. Amen? You press on. So grab your sword and go to work. Eliezer, son of Dodo. Last person I want to bring to your attention is found in verse 11. Austin, I'm switching mics. Don't get too excited. Austin, you look different. Are we there? Look at this. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And after him was Shema, the son of Ag, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field and he defended it. And he killed the Philistines so that the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, can I just deepen this story and your understanding of this story? Because it looks rather innocuous. If you were in the military and you were in charge of guarding a lentil field, let me just tell you what lentils are. Lentils are beans. If you are told, hey, I want you to go out and guard the bean field, you're probably not special forces. You're probably not a Navy SEAL. You're probably not a high-ranking officer. You may not have the IQ of of the other soldiers, uh, you know, in your company. You're told, go guard the the, the bean field. You're not a big-time dude. Probably don't have a lot of influence. But in this story, when the enemy comes, I want you to see this. This is beautiful. Everyone leaves the bean field except for Shema. Now, why? 
Why would he do that? You know, most people, they won't risk their life for a bunch of beans. They won't risk their life for a bunch of beans. They'll say, you know what, it's not worth it. It's just beans. It's lentils. It's not worth the risk. I could lose my life, much less reputation of me guarding a bunch of beans. I mean, but the problem is, is that Shema understood some very important part of this bean field. It wasn't his bean field. It was the king's bean field. It was the king's bean field to guard. And Shema, this common, ordinary soldier, nothing special fighter, his orders were to understand you are to guard that lentil field because it belongs to the king. Now, I want you to catch this. This is, this is powerful. There's a lot of people who, are, who would apply for the job to guard the king's throne room. We'll be the escorts to the king. Be glad to do that, sir. We need someone who will, who will be the armed guard who will escort and, and, and go in front of the king, who will walk behind the king. We need someone who's going to take care of the king. Oh, man, I'll do that. Highly qualified special forces Navy SEAL. We need somebody to guard the bean field that the king has out east of the palace. You see, everybody will, wants to guard the king, but nobody wants to guard his bean field. And sometimes we are asked to defend the bean field, and it's not very popular because in our society, here's the truth. People are always trying to be the center of the attention. In our culture, people stand in line to try to get exposure and recognition. But I want you to understand something. God's, in God's economy, it's a little bit different. Because when God asked Shema, will you stand here? When he was asked to guard the bean field, he had to realize something. It was the king's bean field. And here's the principle I want you to see. Spiritual resolve will help you to stand in spite of humble circumstances. God doesn't give everybody a large platform or big recognition. Like John the Baptist, Jesus said of him, he said, you are a voice, but you are not the voice. And that's why John said, you know, I've got to decrease so he can increase. And a lot of people will say, you know what, that's not important. It's insignificant. It's just a bean field. It's not that big of a deal. It's not, a, it's not even a very big bean field. Well, tell that to Mordecai Ham, who preached the message, who saw Billy Graham get saved. Tell that to Henry Huffman, the Sunday, my Sunday school teacher who poured into my life for two or three or four years. Tell that to, to the, the ladies who kept the nursery who have seen children called into ministry or, or go do great things for God. Tell that to the Buntains, a couple of missionaries who went to the field in 1954, sent over there by the Assemblies of God to, to make a difference in that nation, who, who gave their life in that place. Tell that to the, to, to, the, to the millions of Indians who have gone through their orphanages and those in the homes for the poor in India. Tell that to them. It's not that important. It's not that big a deal. It's not very big. It's just a bean field. 
Resolve says, I will stay faithful even when no one but God may see my faithfulness. That's Shema. That's resolve. Serving the Lord sometimes is not a very fame-achieving sport. You may not be recognized by your great faith. But when you're standing in the doorway of your child and you're praying over them as they fall asleep, you were guarding what the world might seem insignificant. And you've got it resolved that you will take your place. When you're holding on to your marriage that's passed through incredible bumps that other people say, ah, it's not that big a deal. You're standing guard over that beam field. It's easy to get real excited and enthusiastic about guarding the king's throne and the king's chambers. But a bean patch takes real resolve. I want you to hear that. The bean patch took some real resolve. And he stood his ground. One thing that I've noticed about great people of God is that they do the small and the little things well. People that don't have a whole lot of influence, they overlook the little things. But the Lord says, if you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over many. And Shema was faithful over the bean field. I want to close with this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us press on. Let us pursue the goal, the prize, as Paul said in Philippians 3. Let us pursue that goal, the prize. Don't quit on God. Don't give up on your home. Don't give up on your children. Even when it's challenging, spiritual resolve will give you the courage to move forward. I want you to bow your heads with me. You see, I've seen people like Adino, where the odds were so big, they just faded. I've seen people like Eliezer who they just, life just wore them down. Life just wore them down and they just gave up. I've seen people like Shema who said, you know what, it's just, it's insignificant. It doesn't even, it's not worth my effort or my time. 
or the risk. And they've given up on God and they've just kind of walked away. But I don't want you to be a part of that. I want you to have resolve. I want you to stand in the midst of odds, fatigue, and even insignificance. I want you to stand. Your life is worth it. Your family's worth it. Your home's worth it. This church is worth it. Your kids are worth it. It's worth it. tell you this story and I'm going to close. There's a man named Glenn Cunningham who was born early part of the 20th century, 19, around 1918. When he was eight years old, he was in a school and the school caught on fire and he was one of the kids that didn't make it out. They finally drug him out after he had been burned all the lower part of his body. His legs, third degree burns. The doctors told him, this boy, this little child will never walk again. He won't walk. And so his mom took him home and they started the recovery process. And as he started to recover over the course of about 22 months, he would either lay in bed or he would go in, they'd put him in a wheelchair his mom would move him out into the yard to get a little bit of sun because he couldn't go play, he couldn't go do anything. You see all of his friends out running around and he couldn't be with them. But this little boy, determined, had resolve. He said, I'm not only going to walk, I'm going to run one of these days. This little boy. And so one day as his mom had taken him out into the yard... Glenn Cunningham, this little nine, ten-year-old boy at this point, he flung himself out of his wheelchair onto the ground. He was flat on his face. He couldn't move his legs. They were stiff because the skin had stretched tight. They had done what they could do back at the time of that. Medicine could only, only could do that. And he drug himself with his, with his elbows over to his white picket fence. And he, as, he, as he got to the fence, he would grab hold of a picket and he would begin to pull himself and try to move his legs. At 10 years old, his mom would take him out and he would, he would beg every day, take me outside, take me outside. Days, day after day after day, week after week, Glenn would do that until he wore a spot around the yard of dragging himself along that white picket fence around the yard. What was miraculous is the more that he began to try to move his legs, the more his legs began to move. He'd made up his mind, I'm, I'm not just going to walk to school, I'm going to run to school. Well, to make a long story short, that's exactly what happened. When he was at the age of 10, 22 months after that school fire, Glenn not only walked to school, but he ran to school. Scars all over his legs. 
But the story even gets better than that because in 1938, Glenn Cunningham ran in the Olympic Games. He won the mile race and ran in four minutes and six seconds. This little boy who had such resolve that that drug himself around his yard that said, I'm going to one of these days not just walk, I'm going to run. That, my friends, is the same type of spiritual resolve we have to have to say, Lord, I'll drag myself to church. I'll drag myself to devour. I'll drag myself however I have to get there. But one of these days, I'm going to run because I know that's what I believe. It's going to happen. I'm resolved. And I'm going to keep doing it. So let me tell you, you might be in that point. You just keep throwing yourself out there on the yard and you just keep dragging yourself. You keep making those marks around your yard until one of these days the strength will continue to come back into those legs. You'll, you'll run. You'll run. That's spiritual resolve. I want to pray for you. Would you stand, everybody in the room? Just real quickly. Before we go anywhere, would you just bow your heads real quick? And I just want to ask, is there anybody in this room who would say this? I can't resolve anything because I've never really started. If you're here this morning and you have not followed, started following Jesus, or you're not living for him, you're not following him at the moment. Maybe you did years ago, but you're not now. And you say, you know what? I need to restart my life all over again. It's time for me to to get that result. I quit. I did. I gave up. I I let the world just just cave it in on me. But I'm going to start all over today. If you're here this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to to recognize you. I want to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you just raise your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, in the back, I see your hand. Yes, right here in the middle, I see your hand. Praise God. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for raising your hand. Oh, let's praise the Lord. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to start your race today. (laughs) I want to pray with you. It's very simple. All you have to do is say, Lord, you see where I've failed you. You see my past. But my Where I'm going is not in my rearview mirror. Where I'm going is in my windshield. And, Lord, I want to start going the direction you're going. Forgive me of my sin and let me start all over. Come into my life. That's as simple as it is. It's that's that simple. First John tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he will forgive us of our sin. If we we tell him, hey, look, I've wronged you, God. I've done it my way. I'm going to do it your way. He'll he'll faithfully forgive us and cleanse us. And he changes us. And he helps us. As I pray, I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to pray that prayer with me in your own way. I want you to, to open your mouth and I want you to say that prayer with me. I'd like for everybody in the room to just pray this prayer after me as I pray. I want you to pray with me. And those who raised your hands, I want you to just pray and I want you to mean it in your heart. Don't let this be the last time that you pray this prayer. You just keep praying it over, Lord Jesus. I'm starting a new life with you. I'm starting a new life with you. Today is my day. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Everybody all over the room, just say this. Say this. Father God, I thank you today for your wonderful love for me.
You love me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to give his life for me. My life was filled with sin, with all types of failures. I wronged you many times, but today I give that to you and I ask for your forgiveness to give me a new life and to give me a new start. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. From today on, I am a new person in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise this morning? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Can I just say, be resolved in that commitment, everybody. Because I want you to know, victory is in the end. (laughs) I press on toward the mark for the prize which is found heavenward in Christ Jesus. Will we press on? If you'll press on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm pressing on and I'm resolved to do so. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.